So just kind of by way of review, we're getting close to the end of Titus here. We've talked about how the faith, um, the main things that the Bible's teaching, who God is and how can we be right with God, how that affects our whole life um, in chapter 1, how does that work its way out in the church in chapter 2, how does that work its way out in our lives as individuals, older women, younger women, older men, younger men. Um, And then here we are in chapter 3. Uh, talking about how do we relate to other people. And it's also Paul's longest section here on the gospel. And so we're going over now the gospel uh, for a couple different angles. We talked about how, first off, the gospel is not just a ticket out of heaven. We have to focus on the person of Jesus. That it's not just good news that we are out from under the wrath of God, which that is good news. But the good news is, that the wrath of God is what separates us from God. And so now we can know God. We can be right with God. We can have a relationship with God. He's the good news. Jesus Christ is the good news. And that's what uh, Paul says here in, in chapter 3. Um, and we want to know him, and that's the good news. We don't want to divorce the gospel from the person of God, the persons, the Trinity. Um, and so that's kind of where we started and then we talked about justification for a couple weeks and then this week I'm going to talk about how Paul specifically brings out the role of the spirit in the gospel. So let's just go ahead and read um, the first 11 verses of Titus 3 here together. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Okay, we're looking at this section here in verses 4 through 7, really. Focusing in on that, on the gospel. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy... This is the specific phrase I want to zoom in on today. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we're going to actually spend a couple weeks on the Spirit because it's quite a packed, this whole section on the Gospel is quite packed in, and there's a lot here. So just starting again today on this section. So the best way, I think, to start is to actually get some misconceptions out of the way, common misinterpretations of this section, and we won't spend too long, but because of the word washing here, by the washing 
of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's two common misinterpretations that are still common today, and that is that baptism washes away sins, or that that is the moment that you receive the Spirit. Um, and so, just want to clear that up before we even start that baptism does not wash away our sins. Um, the washing here of regeneration is not talking about baptism. That baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. We know that in a lot of different ways. Um, Paul makes that really clear in other sections. Paul specifically um, says in 1 Corinthians that baptism is different from the gospel. He actually pulls them apart and says, I came to preach the gospel and I didn't baptize any one of you except for um, this one household. And so he, I'll just read that section so I get it word perfect. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the cross of Christ is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, there's a lot going on in that, that section, but the reason I read it is just to show that Paul separates in his mind that he's sent to preach the gospel, not to baptize. That this isn't the saving event. Um, that the gospel, the hearing of the gospel and receiving it is how someone is saved. That the baptism is a response to what God's done in our life. It's a response to the gospel. It's not a part of the gospel. So that's, that's important um, that Paul separates it there. Another way we can know that Baptism, that this washing is not the moment that the Spirit is received, is in Acts. Um, remember, they're having this whole discussion about, like, can Gentiles uh, be Christians? And, and, and they were still working through that because it started out mainly Jewish. And the Gentiles received the Spirit. And what Peter, actually, I can't remember if it's Peter, um, but in Acts it says specifically, how can we withhold water for baptism from these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So it's just the opposite. The order is very clear there. He's saying, look, they've got the Spirit. How can, we, how can we say they can't be baptized? And so it's very, I think that's Acts chapter 10. Um, and so it's very clear that the, the order is we're saved. Uh, we're saved by God. God uh, justifies us. He washes us. He puts his Spirit within us. And then we're baptized as a response to that. And, um, as an outward symbol of the inward reality. So I just wanted to get those two common misconceptions out of the way um, because, it's like I said, it's still common today all over um, Kirksville as well as the U.S. as well as worldwide. There's many people that teach baptismal salvation. And so I wanted to get that out of the way. And then now let's get into the meat of what he is saying rather than what he's not saying. Um, and he focuses in on an aspect of the gospel that can be overlooked a lot. Um, and not just in general, but I mean, I've found myself in thinking about and presenting the gospel, leaving parts out. For example, I think I've shown this before. I really like this verse. Um, it's from First Peter. It's a really good uh, summary of the gospel where Peter says that, um, Christ died once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, 
and made alive in the spirit. And I always left out that second part about how he rose again, how he, there's new life. Um, and I focused in on the justification on the death, which is definitely a big part of the gospel, but there's also new life and that comes through Christ. And so we don't want to miss out on that part. And the spirit is the one that brings that to us. So let's just notice here in this section that God saves us through the Spirit and His work in us. Uh, Let's just read these verses one more time and listen to the means. He saved us. This is verse 5. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He saved us. By what? by the work of the Spirit in our life, by changing us, by uh, washing us. Um, And he says it in two different ways, washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There are two phrases that are basically saying the same thing, that there's new life, there's a new creation. God's doing something to change us from the inside out. Paul connects the Spirit to salvation and justification in other places. I'll give you a couple more. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So there in 1 Corinthians, Paul connects justification specifically to the Spirit. He also connects the the cleansing and the sanctifying. But he connects it, he says, by the Spirit of God. Uh, Another place here that connects salvation in 2 Thessalonians. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So he saved us through sanctification. Can We use that word a lot of times to mean being made more like Jesus, um, being made more holy. But it also literally means being set apart. And so in that case, in that particular verse it's talking about, we're set apart. Um, we're being set apart. The Spirit marks us as sons as saved um, as heirs and so we're saved through the spirit's work of applying what christ did to us and we don't want to miss out on that that here's what jesus did on the cross but god didn't only work in that moment of dying on the cross which he definitely worked there but then he comes into each every individual believer god himself the spirit is a person it's god right God himself comes and he works in your life and he changes you from the inside out and he applies the blood to you and to your heart and gives you a new heart. And that's a huge deal. That, yes, Jesus died on the cross for us. That's awesome. And that's amazing. But every single Christian has had an encounter with the living God in the person of the Spirit who applies that to their lot, to their heart and changes them. And that's a big deal. It's a wonderful thing that God is working today all over the world to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. How is he doing that? By the Spirit. God himself is still moving in the person of the Spirit throughout all the world, here today, in every believer, and also in working in people that aren't believers yet, um, opening their eyes to show them the light of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so... Just notice here that Paul is, sh- is showing us the Spirit's work in the gospel, that he's the one that 
Jesus died on the cross, but yes, but then the person of the Spirit comes to us and changes us and saves us. And what does he specifically do here? Let's look at these two things that are really highlighted by the work of the Spirit um, in this particular section. Cleansing and new life. We, we could summarize these two specific things he's bringing out. Cleansing and new life. The specific wording he says is washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, just want to focus in on those two words. Why talk about new life and cleansing? Well, washing, you get the idea of cleansing. Now, this word renewal is very similar to regeneration or recreation. It's, it's getting across the, basically as synonym of regeneration. We have this new work that God is doing. Um, well, I think actually the best way to explain this is um, I want you to turn, this is, this will kind of give us a bigger context and this will help. Matthew nineteen twenty eight. The only other time this word regeneration appears is here in Matthew nineteen twenty eight. It's actually not what you would expect, um, but it hel- it's helpful to see what it means. Matthew nineteen twenty eight. Jesus said to them, "Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne." You who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Does anyone have a footnote in their version uh, under, right next to New World? Which ver- what's your version? Is it what ESV has a footnote? Okay. Anybody else? Your regeneration. Uh, okay. Good. Good. Uh, mine actually doesn't have a footnote, so, but this is the only other time that word regeneration appears, and it's talking about recreation. That's literally the word. It's like a new creation. And so it's kind of strange here that we, when we think of regeneration, we immediately think in the individual. But this is kind of helpful because the regeneration of the believer, the new creation that God does in salvation, is actually a part of a, of a bigger picture, that there's not just us involved in God redeeming the whole world, that there's going to be everything that's been affected by sin is going to be recreated. There's going to be a new creation where all of sin is put right. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, that not just human beings from the inside out, but the whole world is going to be put right. There's going to be a new earth. There's going to be new heavens. Uh, There's going to be no more tears and death and sin, that God is going to put it all right. And the way he does that to start is in the hearts of believers. We're the first fruits of the new creation. God, the kingdom of God has come and he's starting to change the world and he's starting to recreate everything. Where is he starting? In human beings, in sinful human beings and he's starting and recreating them. But eventually God will recreate everything. Every single aspect that's been affected by the fall is going to be new. Our outward bodies, not just our inward hearts, the whole world. Um, the animal kingdom, everything is going to be put right. And so it's that same word, new creation. God's creating again, putting it all back right. That's good news. And there's two pieces to it that we're focusing in on right now. The new life and the cleansing. And 
another thing that will kind of help put this in perspective is this whole idea of the new creation, both in inside believers and also in the whole world. It's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. That this idea of the promise of the Spirit coming and changing us from the inside out, as well as the whole world, although we don't have time to look at those passages today, is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So I want to read you some verses here from the Old Testament that really get this across. You can turn there if you want, or I can just read it to you. Either way is fine. Starting in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. This gets across both uh, the new life and the cleansing. This is what one promise about the new covenant. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So here's God promising the new life, uh, this new heart, a new heart, the center of who you are. Again, when the Israelites thought of heart, they weren't thinking of like what we think of literal heart. It was like the center of the person, their mind, their will, their emotions, everything about them, the center of who you are is your decisions, all that is in your heart. But the center of who you are is going to be recreated. You're going to be new. And you're going to be clean. Clean water. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, and I'll give you my spirit. So you see, this promise of the spirit was connected to these two promises of cleansing and of new life. There's a couple other places uh, I'd like to at least read. In Isaiah 4, uh, Isaiah is talking about the branch of the Lord, which is Jesus um, coming. And he says this in Isaiah 4, 3. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, and everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. And when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. So I think there's a lot going on here, but... The, the other thing I wanted you to see here is one other piece of Christ coming that's specifically foretold in the Old Testament is this double idea of cleansing and new life. Um, Jesus talks about this in John. He says, It is a spirit who, who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Uh, Paul says in Romans, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, Romans eight ten through 11 If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if Christ is in you, although the, uh, sorry, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So you see this idea that the Spirit is the one who gives us life. The source of life is the Spirit coming and applying it to us. So we want to put this as an important piece of what we're talking about with justification. Justification, we talked about how we're guilty. Like Andy was talking about this morning, we're guilty before God. We have a verdict on us of guilt, of deserving wrath, of deserving punishment. And that's part of the problem that the gospel is solving that Jesus came on the cross to die and to wash away our sins. But he didn't just leave us there in the sins. The blood and the spirit not only wash away our guilt, give us new life. 
we're made new. And one thing that I felt like was a good story to kind of get this across, which was the specific guy we met in the jail. And I think I've shared this before in relation to this. And also, just by side note, still pray for us that we could get back in the jail and do those Bible studies again because we're still, they still just keep kind of saying maybe next month, maybe, you know, and so we can pray for that. Um, but there was this one guy in the jail, and I can't remember who was in there with me, probably one of you guys, um, and there was a guy that came in, and he was all by himself. And it was very memorable because he had just gotten in recently, and he was just beside himself, like weeping. Like whenever you get in a situation where somebody's just crying uncontrollably, you know, gasping, you know, like for breath and, and, and all that, it's like intense, you know, it's emotionally intense. And basically what the guy told us was he got out on parole with the condition of that he would take drug tests and he knew they were coming and he knew I'm going to have to take a drug test. And he's got, he was a young guy, um, probably about my age, and he had a family and he had kids and he was just crying and crying and crying. And he basically said, I knew that if I did drugs, I'd lose my kids and I'm going to be in jail. By the time I get out, my kids are going to be adults. And I knew it was going to happen. I knew I was going to have to get drug tested, and I did it anyways. And basically, he he hated he hated what he did, and he was just confessing how he was a slave. That it didn't make any sense. He knew he shouldn't have done it. He knew it was not worth it. And yet, he went back into his sin, and and he was just broken about it um, in terms of the consequences. Why is that so important? Well, it's a really good picture of us, right? That how many people, don't actually raise your hand, but you have a sin and you've sinned and you feel guilty. Like, man, I shouldn't be doing this. This is not good for me. It's not good for the people around me. And I keep running back into it. And you want to try and get out of it. And then you just keep doing it over and over and over. No matter how hard you try, you're stuck in this hamster wheel and you're a slave. All of us, right? We're all slaves to sin according to Jesus. And if Christ came to wash away our guilt, but left us in our sin, we would be there still. We would still be sinning and doing it all over again and asking for forgiveness every day, which we still need to do that, and nothing would be changed. But Christ did not just come to forgive our sins. Because if he did, we would be just like that guy in the jail. He would come and he would say, hey, uh, you can be forgiven. Great. And you're free to go. And then where would we go? We'd go right back to our sin. Because we love our sin, right? You know, that's where we would be. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came to take our punishment and to purchase for us a new heart by sending his spirit to actively change the sinner. Not only to forgive them, but to change them from the inside out. And this is a piece of gospel we don't want to lose. We don't want to lose sight of the fact that not only are we washed, not only are we uh, cleansed from our guilt, we're changed. There's an an offer of being a new person. And if we're honest, we are all like that guy. When we really see what we're really like, deep down in our heart, we realize, I'm not a good person. I need something deeper than just a little forgiveness for something I did. I need to be a new person. I need something totally different. I need to be a different person. And that's what Jesus is offering. 
He's saying, I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you a new person through my spirit. I'm going to take out your heart of stone, the heart that loves sin and, and doesn't love God. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh, a heart that loves God and more than sin, that is just the things you once wanted and desired and were appealing to you, the things you were living for and you're running after. I'm going to take that out, that, that heart that loved all those things. I'm going to put in a new heart that loves totally different things, that loves God, that loves what's good, that loves other people. And that's an amazing promise. And it's accomplished through Jesus on the cross by the Spirit at work in our lives. And it's really a wonderful and amazing thing. But I want you to notice here how this fits in the picture of the whole Bible, but also in in this section of Titus 3. Because the gospel... I'm going to say the same thing I just said, but in a little bit different way. The gospel is not this good news about outward conformity. It's It's good news about inward transformation. The gospel isn't, hey, you got all this in? Clean yourself up, clean your life up, get it together, go to church, try harder next week. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you're guilty, you're messed up, you're messed up from the inside out. I'm going to wash you by my blood, forgive you, and then change you from the inside out. You don't have to earn forgiveness, just like we talked about. We're not saved by works. We're saved before we ever do any good works. We're saved by Jesus, death on the cross. And then he changes us from the inside out. And that's the whole flow of this passage here. He's talking about we ourselves were full of anger and malice and envy and all these other things, living for all these passions and pleasures. And then what happened? It's not that we cleaned ourselves up, that we got our act together, that we went to church. It was that Jesus invaded our life and changed us, washed us by the Spirit. Um, Renewal, regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So that's what happens first. The first thing that happens is the change, the washing of guilt by the blood of Jesus and the change in our heart. And then what? So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God, past tense, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So the gospel is not good news of get your act together, do all these right things. It's good news of an inward transformation through the blood of Jesus and what he's done on the cross that overflows into your life. That You see the flow there in the passage? Here's how we were. We were bad. We were sinful. We did not love God. We did not love other people. Then what? Then God changed us and saved us before we were doing anything good, before we had our act together, when we were still in our sin. Then what? After he's renewed us, then those who have believed, we've already trusted Christ, then we devote ourselves to good works. Not to earn anything, but an overflow of what Jesus has already done in us out of this new heart. And so this is really important because for me, like I grew up going to church and I heard the gospel over and over and over and over. And my response was anti-gospel, right? Like I heard it and what I would say every week when I would sit in the pews is basically like, I'm going to try harder next week. It wasn't, I'm going to look to Jesus. It's like, I'm going to look to my own self and my own uh, resources and my own will. And I'm going to try to get this sin out of my life. And I'm going to try next week harder. And I was a slave. I heard the gospel a lot. 
but I was living out the opposite, right? Totally self-reliant, totally trying to clean myself up. Whereas the gospel is, here comes Jesus to change you and save you. And then out of this new life and this new heart and this cleansing of the blood of Jesus, then we can walk in newness of life. Not to earn anything, but because of what Jesus did. It's really the difference between the true gospel and all other false religions that are saying, work your way, clean yourself up, do all these good things. We're saying, I couldn't do it. I wasn't good enough. And really, the, the larger context, it's actually pretty amazing here that a bunch of the letters that we have in the New Testament about this good news of Jesus that changes people from the inside out are two notoriously wicked places. <laughs> like, here, Crete, Specifically, it references how Cretes, they were notoriously evil. Like, we still call people Cretans. Or like, we don't, hopefully, or we are, hopefully you're not calling people Cretans or, or whatever. Um, but it's like in our vocabulary. And not only that, the same with Corinth. Like, we've got two letters to Corinth, and they were notorious. Like, they would, like, to call somebody something bad, you could just call them, like, well, you're acting like a Corinthian. It's pretty amazing, really, that this gospel is changing the most wicked places in the first century right out of the gate. It's awesome. And what about today? The gospel is available to sinners who are messed up right where you are. That guy in the jail, the good news that he needed was, yeah, God will forgive you and will also change you. That that emptiness and brokenness that you have, yeah, you are empty. You can't change yourself, but you know what? God will change you. And that's good news, you know. Um, We would be stuck, right? Let's just imagine, let's do a thought experiment. Imagine if God only offered one or the other, okay? Imagine if the gospel was just justification or just regeneration. So let's start with just justification, which we already kind of did this a little bit. But if the gospel was only justification, it would be God will wash you of your sin, but you're still going to love all the old things. You're still going to, you know, have, it's going to have total victory over you in terms of slavery over sin. And you're going to be forgiven, but you're going to live the exact same life. Totally defeated by sin. Totally the same person. Not interested in God. That would be horrible, right? Heaven would be horrible. Would you want to be there with God, worshiping him, knowing him? It's like, no. It's like you would still in your heart be longing for sin. All the, all your, all the best parts of your life. You would be like, man, I'm forgiven and I'm going to church, but what I really want to do is get back out there and do all those old things I used to do. Or maybe you still just go ahead and do them. That would, that would not be victory. That would not be good news. <laughs> On the other hand, what if it was regeneration but no justification? God said, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to make you new. You're not going to love those sins anymore. You're going to love me. You're going to be totally new. But when you die, you're going to be guilty before me and go to hell. That would not be good news. <laughs> that would be horrible. Um, we would be awakened to all the evil we did and then just sit under the guilt. Praise the Lord that we have both pieces. God broke the power of sin through regeneration, through the Spirit's new life, and new work in your life, and he broke the penalty through his death on the cross, both. And we have them both, and we want to embrace them both. And so it's good news. We can thank God for the Spirit. We can worship not only Jesus, but the Spirit. I mean, the Spirit is really alive and at work in every believer and in the world, that's, that's an essential piece of the gospel. And it makes sense of a lot of these passages that Paul, where Paul presents the gospel that he doesn't stop just at Jesus dying. He goes on to Jesus rose. He, he's giving new life. 
we have access to this new life in Christ. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit. This is the good news. Like, we had the law in the Old Testament. Like, here's what you need to do to be right with God. You know, how many of us have been able to do that? Zero, right? Ever. No one. The law held us captive. We knew the right thing. We knew we shouldn't be lying. And not only did we know we shouldn't do it, we just kept on doing it, you know? I mean, think about it this way. When did you learn, let's just choose one of the Ten Commandments, lying. When did you learn lying was wrong? When you were three, four, five? And then when did you stop? <laughs> right? It's like you kept on. You knew, I shouldn't be doing this, but I just you kept on and kept on and kept on. Not only did we sin, we just, we persisted. And then God, he, he saw that we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't be justified by our works, and so he sent Jesus. This, to proclaim forgiveness, to proclaim new creation, both in our hearts, but also in the whole world. And so then, let's just kind of, we're going to talk more about the spirit um, again in a couple of weeks, but let's kind of wrap this particular section on up that, and just apply it to your heart. Like, are you, if you're a Christian, are you walking in this? Are you leaning into the new life available through the Spirit in Christ? Are you leaning into the cleansing? I mean, one question you might ask yourself is, I mean, do you still have this guilt of the sin that you commit? Is it weigh you down? Or is it something where you take it to Christ and you know, like, Look, I'm washed. I'm cleansed. Maybe it's your, like, things in your past. Like, you remember, I'm sure all of us have things we remember, like, sins that we commit. It's like, man, that, that was terrible. Does that still weigh you down? Or do you, can you see, yeah, that was horrible. But the person that did that died. And there's a new person now. There's a new, like, for me, Andrew. There's a new Andrew that lives that, would, that doesn't even, that hates the things that he was doing. And isn't guilty anymore because of Jesus taking the punishment. And so I don't have to walk in guilt or shame. So I can share about, you know, sins that I was enslaved to and, and whether it was shameful or whatever. We can share about it because it's gone. It's washed by Jesus. I'm new. Uh, that person died and a new Andrew's alive. Made alive by the Spirit of God. Is that true for you, you know? Are there things weighing you down? If there are, give them to God. Ask him to make these things real to you, that you are new through faith in Jesus, that you don't have to walk in guilt and shame and sin. They don't need to weigh you down. Um, Well, what if you're not a Christian? I would just plead with you to really think about Jesus. Think about what Jesus did for you. Like Whatever sin it is that you are committing over and over and over and you know you shouldn't be doing it, and you're enslaved, look to Jesus. Like, he's offering forgiveness and renewal. If you want to be a new person, there's an offer here. Jesus. I'll give you one more illustration kind of to bring this point home. I mean, it's kind of like, to many people, God is kind of like, Brussels sprouts or 
cooked spinach or something like that. It's like, well, I know it would be good for me, and but I really just don't like it, you know? And I can force myself to read the Bible or force myself to go to church, but but I don't really enjoy it, like, but I'll make myself do it. That's not the relationship that God wants with you. God wants your heart, right? That's the whole point of this whole message is God is not wanting you to outwardly conform and fit in all the boxes. God's wanting you to be inwardly transformed, be a new creation. And if you're like that, if God is like Brussels sprouts to you, like, uh, I just, we sing the songs, it never touches me. I read the Bible, it doesn't mean anything to me. My parents talk about God to me, and it just, it's boring. The answer is not just like, well, I'm going to try harder, right? Like, imagine if you decided, I'm going to make myself love Brussels sprouts. You like, you put on a t-shirt, I love Brussels sprouts. You eat Brussels sprouts every day, make yourself eat them. And you might hate them more in the end, right? Like you can't just force yourself to love something and to change your heart. But God, right? God is saying, if you come to me and admit, like just it, confess and ask. You know, First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. You kind of see both those pieces there. Forgiveness, justification, cleansing with this renewal. Um. God's offering that new life to you, right? Come to him and just say, God, I really, I love my sin. I don't really love you. This is where I'm at. Would you wash me? Would you change me? And would you forgive me? Would you give me this new heart? God is willing and able to change you from the inside out. Run to him. Get new life. So much better than pretending, right? Pretending that this God is really what you love when you don't, or pretending um, that you're going to really change yourself if you if you squint your eyes and and you, and you try really hard. It's just not going to work. The gospel is dependent on a real and living God that is active today. Think about that. What we're saying is that all that's said here by Paul, all that this Jesus is presenting in the in the Bible, we're saying that there's got to be a real and living God that is coming to invade your life when you trust him. And can't we say, if you're a Christian, like, yes, like that happened, like miraculous, like things that I loved, things that, you know, I was in bondage to for years were gone. Like God saved me. It wasn't right away, not all of them right away, but some of them were totally changed. Suddenly the Bible was real and new and I wanted to read it and it was amazing. You want to pray, you want to serve people. And the things you were, you know, living for, it's like, well, I can let that go now. The things that were the most precious to you, it's like, well, yeah, that's okay. I can, I can leave that for Jesus. I can let go of that. That's because we're leaning on a real and living God that really comes and really changes and really saves people. And so we can expect him to do that. And so for you, if you're, if you're a kid or you're an adult still living in the bondage of sin, Lean in and trust the real and living God to wash you and change you. Be cleansed and find new life in Jesus. And then finally we can just all worship and say, praise the Lord. Think about all the good that's been done in the world. I mean, think about, just. I'll give you just a couple examples. Think about all that changed in the world just from one slave captain on the slave 
ship in the 1800s who had this weird dream <laughs> and read the Bible and was saved. And then got out of it and became a pastor and wrote songs like Amazing Grace. And started this like little Sunday school thing for kids and brought in hundreds of kids and shared the gospel to them. Think about that. That you know, that's John Newton. Like the world was changed by this one guy, God invading his life and changing him from the inside out. And he not only does he do it just in cases like that, but all over the world. There's parents that love God and are pouring into their kids. What a difference. There's people, accountants and plumbers and construction workers and teachers, that when somebody asks them to do something that's dishonest, they say, no, that wouldn't be loving. Think about the salt that that is in the world, the preserving of so many just temporal gifts, but also the spiritual good that's being done. It's amazing what God is doing, that people are different, people are new. People get saved, and and we're different, right? It's a wonderful thing. Think about you can think about the difference that it made that Wilberforce got saved, and he quoted Psalm one nineteen every day walking into Parliament, and it ended slavery, right? It's like him along with a bunch of other believers ended slavery in England. And even, we've talked about this before, even today historians are like, we understand history, but one thing does not make sense. You know, this, this England ending slavery, like, destroyed their economy. It does not make sense from a historical perspective. There was no reason for them to do it. It was just, it was, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's like an outlier. Why? God. <laughs> God worked in people's hearts. God changed people from the inside out. And so there's a thousand stories like that of God's real active and living work where he changes someone and we can just say God did it all right let's pray together father thank you so much for just a little bit of time here to think about what you planned and what you sent your son to accomplish and you sent your spirit to apply we're very thankful we're thankful that we don't have to be the people we were, that we, you will give us new life and you will cleanse us from our sin. I do pray that this wouldn't just be um, one more fact or message that we hear. I pray you really would save people. Pray for our kids, Lord. We want to see more than anything in our whole life. We want to see our kids saved um, from sin and trusting you. More than we want our life to be easy or comfortable, uh, we We want to see people saved, so we're looking to you for help, praying that you would, by your Spirit, open people's eyes. Pray you'd help us to walk in newness of life. We don't want to be falling back. Um, Please be with us and be helping us. We love you, and we're thankful for who you are. Father, we're thankful for you, Jesus, and we're thankful for you, Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.